0: as
1: um My name is Hazim or Ajim.
0: Can we restart that? I interrupted you. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no, I was like, no, I thought I was relaxed. I was like, then I paused and I was like, I thought you were going to say my name is, okay. All right. Three, <laughs> three, two, one. Hello. As-salamu alaykum. My name is Hazim or Ajim.
0: And Tanche, uh Jacqueline Nudishna My name is Jacqueline.
1: I use dia, they them pronouns.
0: And I use she, her pronouns.
1: And today on Naughty by Nature, we're going to talk about experiences with dating apps.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Now, we did talk a little bit before this recording and there is a shit ton of content,
0: to say the least. I think, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I, I guess just to have a little structure, we will break it down. But we might meander because that's what BIPOC people do, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, like, what is what is what is dating? Um, like, what 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 entails? Um, the dating app experience um, specific to our identities right so we'll start off with that so the what so we're going to go who what when where why um yeah so we'll start off with who sorry but like who we are in our identities and how does that affect dating um our species with dating apps and how and vice versa so do you want to start
0: sure yeah so I identify as two-spirit, and what that means to me is the fact that I'm Métis and I date people of all genders and gender expressions. Um, I've used the term bisexual before, just because it's the term that I've always used. And um, yeah, I've had a wide array of dating experiences, I think. And they've definitely shaped me into the person that I am today. And a lot of those experiences happen on dating apps, largely because I think of my age group that I'm in. I'm 20 years old. And the advent of the internet in my late teens, I think, it was around that time, um, was really the basis for social media and consequently dating apps and that sort of thing. So I think when things really got started when I was 18 and um, I left home and was trying to make connections within the LGBTQIA2S community and like finding myself in that way. And part of that involved dating people like me too.
1: Mm-hmm. And that includes like validating and invalidating experiences that shape you, right?
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. How and about you? Then,
1: um. Well, I I'm non-binary in terms of like gender, and I also like to use the word bisu sometimes, which is very specific to bogus people. Um, I I don't mention that super often because a lot of people aren't used to that. Um. Mm-hmm. But if they take the time to learn that then i'm usually instantly attracted to them which is like bare minimum like you know uh, oh you took the time to learn something about me you are the one um, <laughs> but um yeah i exploring my queerness um through the app i did use to identify as gay and I still still often in terms of dating spheres it's primarily around gay though. I'm very jaded by cisgender Mm -hmm. um, gay people, but I think back home, so back home in Malaysia, Indonesia, or Nusantara, it's a lot more difficult than here to explore dating uh, through an app. I did not Mm -hmm. download any dating apps back home. Um, Actually, the first app I downloaded when I arrived in Canada was Grindr.
0: Um, Uh, Grindr.
1: Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh quickly introduce me canada quickly introduced me to all sorts of dynamics and dating apps
2: including mm-hmm.
1: like racism orientalism fetishization exotification um just yeah like all all the things
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: but we're not just going to talk about negatives here there are um and not that it's a binary of negative or positive, but we we wanna share some successes as well, because there is a reason why queer people will use dating apps still, right?
0: hmm Yeah, absolutely.
1: hmm Did you want to share like yeah, let's let, let's start off with successes. So why don't you share like your positive experiences with, with dating apps?
0: Hmm. Well, actually, I think some really positive experiences I've had is this uh, development from potential date mate to um, a friend. And what I mean by that is getting to know someone in a context like Tinder, which is understood as having a like sexual connotations to it, but then realizing that we're much more compatible as like friends Mm -hmm. and then having, like, I have a friendship. I met someone on Tinder and we're still friends. I think two years after the fact now and they're dating someone else and it's going well. And, uh, yeah, it just it was very interesting to see the evolution of our friendship in that regard. So that's really nice. And then I think something that's also been really positive for me is just knowing that there's other people like me in the world who are looking mm-hmm. for community and like who feel safe accessing that sort of like social sphere to to like find people to date. Cause I I've learned a lot about the history of being LGBTQIA2S in Canada. And it's a it's a histo- like it's a colonial state. And with that comes the idea of the regulation of sexuality and um, mm-hmm. gender identity and all of its variations and the policing of those things when it doesn't match up with what Canada is supposed to be and what Canadians are supposed to be, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that there's people who feel able to to be open and and proud and... And to like not fully safe, but safe on some level to, to like create a profile and match with people and talk to them and like potentially eventually date each other or even get married or like cohabitate for the rest of their lives. Like those things used to have to happen and they still do, but maybe less, less often now, but those things used to have to happen in like unnamed bars, underground clubs that would get raided Mm -hmm. by police and people would get arrested and like face horrific consequences for demonstrating love to one another. So I think it's from my perspective, I haven't lived through that reality, but knowing that the history exists and happened um, it, like I feel quite grateful now to to be in a space where I can like be open about being two spirit and being like, yeah, I want to find a fantastic Indigia queen maybe to settle down with and like (laughs) have a great family or, or meet someone who's also a person who can experience love and romantic attraction for people of all genders. Like, Mm -hmm that that sort of thing, I think, is really beautiful that we can do now with maybe less fear of of state sanctioned violence. It's still there, but maybe just less.
1: Yeah, I mean, I typically associate. The the policing of of queerness, gender expression, sexuality with state apparatus. which you know, like with colonization, um, like prior to that, I don't want to romanticize things weren't mm-hmm. perfect, but there was less policing because there wasn't a centralized body with all these technological tools to 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 enforce policing, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so now we do have that, um, like from where I'm from, which is Nusantara or present-day um, Malaysia, Indonesia. Um, you have literally thousands of police staff whose job, whose main job, main task is to monitor uh, where queers are congregating, right? Hmm. Uh, and there are systems like I. One thing I'm proud about our communities back home is we're pretty resilient. So we do have um, we typically try to have somebody amongst uh, the police officers just to tip us off if a raid is about to happen.
2: Oh, um, okay.
1: But it's not always successful because of turnover and police. You know the, that still happens. I think, um, like very recently, maybe a year, a couple of years ago, uh, a gay club that had been uh, operating Kuala Lumpur for over three decades was shut down. One that I had frequented very often. So there is a fear of using it, an app like Grinder, um, to connect. Um, even though that yearning, that desire to connect with another queer person for love or sex, whatever it is, um, is so strong, but police like typically only need three guesses to triangulate, um, like close down on your potential location, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and
1: they only do that a few times with several accounts to figure out where queer, trans, um, non-binary, you know, people are, are, are grouped together so um and that's like that's part of like why and how raids happen right? mm-hmm. um, that they're using uh, grinder's location um, uh, feature uh, that people use to for connection against people who are gearing for connection um, mm-hmm. so it's not I don't want to frame it as like one is progressive, one's regressive or whatever, but um the introduction of this location feature in dating app has actually been really harmful for for mm-hmm. my communities back home um, not that the sort of locating and and like we bashing or we're like ganging up or in ambushes they they do happen in the global north too
0: yeah
1: um. Yes, I, I, I asked about successes, and that's where my mind went. So. <laughs> I'm such a fucking killjoy. Um,
0: I think but, you're just a realist.
1: <laughs> oh, it sucked to be a realist. Um, but no, I met amazing people through through apps. I have literally, I like you said, I have friends. Who I met through Grinder. One time, I I went across Canada on a greyhound, and in each city, I met somebody on Grinder who is now. I'm not saying that they're not thirsty for me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I lavish that, and but we do have we have formulated nice friendships that uh, we can go for walks and
2: Aww. coffee
1: together. So. Um, yeah, like okay, so I talked about really negative, but uh, do you want to like talk about some of the less savory aspects of your dating uh, app mm-hmm. experience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my experience has been one where I've struggled to find other like women or femmes who are interested in dating me and vice versa um so my dating experience has primarily been with cisgender heterosexual men um and i think what i've noticed is there's there's so many layers to this so i think i'll start with the the gender stuff um I have just consistently noticed this idea of misogyny and the the experience I should say it's not just an idea it's a it's a it's a societal lifestyle <laughs> um to say the least and it's manifested in um people thinking that they're entitled to sleeping with me if they pay for dinner or Mm-mm. Um relegating me to this role of like the per like their their cheerleader with no other opinion mm-hmm. than the fact that they're so great and the sun shines out of their butt, like are, or like being put on a pedestal or something, just like this consistent notion of objectification. And not really seeing me as a person, but more so just an addition to their lives. Mm -hmm. And then add to that the fact that I'm Métis. And suddenly when I mention that, all these racist questions come out of the woodwork. And despite my pale skin... um, there's still all these, like, it's very bizarre how people can exotify um, in a dating context. Like, people questioning my ancestry, asking me, well, how, how much native are you? And then, because of, and then if I, if the person is actually receptive, well, then it involves me kind of doing, like, a Wikipedia article level spiel where I'm telling them all about my family's history and what Métis means. And like, it's just all this emotional labor that I'm exhausted by. And I, it's gotten to the point where I've sent people links to websites, explaining what my culture means (laughs) and kind of just being like, here you go. Like, and not because I don't want to take the time, but it's just, uh, I I think there's something to be said about not wanting to feel like you have to explain yourself all the time and like take on that role uh, just to be seen as as like human or to be acknowledged for who you are and then the fact that I um I don't have a preference in terms of gender with dating and everything as soon as men have found that out well it's like oh my gosh like do you want to have a threesome with me? Or you Uh, must be really experienced sexually and all this stuff. And I'm just like exhausted (laughs) by it all. And that's, I think that's basically the summary of the, the more unsavory aspects. It's just because of the existing culture of like white supremacy and misogyny, capitalism all this stuff it all combines into this scenario where depending on your intersecting identities you will have to perform exorbitant amounts of emotional labor with with the other person um and that is happening in a way where you are not guaranteed that they will accept what you're saying and if they do accept it you're not guaranteed that they'll reciprocate um and so it it puts you in a very vulnerable position i think and there isn't much recourse for for people experiencing oppressive behavior from others when when that happens because it's like well Mm -hmm. you can't you're not going to call the cops saying oh this person is being racist to me make them stop or like you're not going to tell, like you, you could maybe report the app, the, the person to the app creators, but what are they going to say? Probably nothing. You have to kind of just unmatch and then move on. But that, that experience stays with you. And yeah, I, for a long time, I didn't know how to process that. I kind of just internalized it and said, well, I guess this is, this is life. This is, this is what I have to look forward to. When it comes to looking for someone or or people to date, yeah, yeah. it's been it's been an adventure, to say the least.
1: Ugh. Just, well, you touched upon emotional labor, and, and I just feel exhausted listening to that <laughs> word. That word just <laughs> elicits all the like the memories of um, of like talking to people online basically treat grinder as um like a free therapy app
0: oh gosh Mm
1: -hmm. Um, we're like yeah like you said i'm just kind of expected to be ornamental to their existence and to validate whatever i'm just like an unloading doc you know Mm -hmm. and it's it's tiring i don't want to exist i'm not human when that happens or when i'm reduced to orientalist notions of what a clinical asian should be and i don't even really subscribe to pan Asianism, by the way like i do use mm-hmm. asian but because um i'm partly diasporic and i'm also like you know like i spent a big chunk of my life back home um it's really difficult to 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 place that but i understand if somebody does subscribe to pan Asianism, then even they do not want to be reduced to like um, An exotic, um, you know, like piece of jewelry, basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's 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 tiring. I can I can see somebody's to me. I first do a little reconnaissance, and I see oh, like you seem to like a bunch of Asians. So I'm just this is just a fetish. Actually, recently somebody approached me um, online, and um, I just I was like okay. I see who you're liking. I see who you're following. These are my friends. You fuck my friends. You, well, my friends are like Southeast Asians. You have a thing for it. Mm -hmm. Then I just said, oh, have you met my friend, this and this? And then completely blocked me. Because Mm. because I was I I hadn't even started calling out the person yet. It was more like um, just doing a little bit of slew thing, but Uh, it's very prevalent, and it's exhausting, but I think now as I grow older, I know how to use a dating app in a way that minimizes um, exhaustion by minimizing my level of engagement or expectation.
0: Hmm. So what do you mean by that?
1: If I'm just engaging with somebody, I don't expect anything. I don't care, really. Like, I want that connection with people, but I also don't it sounds it sounds like pessimistic but it's really just sort of like a self-preservation thing where yeah um there's several stages of like oh like I'm gonna mention colonization what's your response oh I'm gonna mention um non-binary what's your response I'm gonna mention you know and then you go through these like Mm -hmm. I do it I do it for myself and I'm sure if they're like especially if they're not white they're gonna have their own kind of um kind of set of hoops right for me yeah um so and if we wind up like jumping through each other's hoops, um like successfully or in a validating way for a few hoops then it feels like I've made a connection that even though it might not be romantic or sexual or whatever is somebody that I'd like to continue exploring right yeah yeah so I, I think uh like that's part of that's part of growing older. You just learn how to like, because um, like like you said before, um, we started recording. The Grindr, uh, Tinder, these things are tools for to connect people um, for like desire longing and romance. Um, it's not inherently good or bad. Although I will say the moderators and the, uh, like, the management. They are racist, sexist,
0: yeah, <laughs> all of
1: them in how they design the app, but um, there's still some good use out of the app to meet those connections, um, mm-hmm. uh, goal, right?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, when did you start like exploring or trying dating apps? Like, what were your experiences?
0: Hmm. Well, it started when I was quite young, like I was 18, 19. Um, I think what really strikes me about my use of dating apps at that age was I didn't feel like I was meeting enough people within my direct vicinity, um, which... I think it's interesting to think about because like culturally speaking as a Métis person, like we love to gather and we love to be connected to like, when I say we, I, I like, it's, it's culturally understood that Métis people are a communally based group uh, and okay. culture. And so when you, I mean, you have to be careful that you're not gonna wind up dating your cousin, right? But like <laughs> <laughs> like there's this idea that you you like you meet people in person and you get to know them and you like you maybe know their family already and like you, their their parents and your parents have been friends and like like that sort of thing. And so I didn't grow up with that. I didn't have this Metis community around me because of a variety of factors involving um my biological father's side of the family um, but uh, so with that being said i I turned to dating apps because i I also didn't know anyone who wasn't heterosexual like mm-hmm. i think or i I should say i didn't know anyone who was out um And and so I remember being like 16 and and finally realizing, oh, one of my friends was wasn't straight. They were like me. And and I think that kind of set the tone because we were. um, We we just clung to each other based off of that one thing, which is not the healthiest. (laughs) Um. And. So, yeah, like I said, it set the tone, so when I went online i I think i was it wasn't even that I was looking to date someone per se. I just wanted to find a place where I felt that I belonged, and I wasn't gonna be judged or
2: yeah.
0: um bullied and and treated like I wasn't equal to other people like I had been in high school, like I, I, I'm just now remembering like, um, like I had jocks bullying me and like trying to call me a dyke and all this stuff and like just horrible things. Um, so when I, yeah, when I went online, I was, I was looking for people who just like treat me with kindness and I'd always wanted like as a teen, I wanted to, like, date and everything. I wanted, like, the the kind of, like, teenage rom-com experience. What? But that didn't really exist in media at the time. Um, and it certainly didn't exist in real time in, like, yeah. my high school life. I didn't know anyone who was, like, in the community. So, I yeah, I just kind of took it upon myself to to put myself out there, so to speak, and, and see what stuck. And I ended up meeting someone, actually, and it was a very significant relationship, but it was also one of the most difficult ones I've ever had um, because we, we both came from very, like, trauma-heavy backgrounds and that sort of thing. And I don't think we had the, the support or the language mm-hmm. or the resources to, to grapple with that healthily. And that's kind of yeah, where where my background is with with dating in that regard. And they were also indigenous too. So there's just so many things where it was like, okay, well, like if this is this if this is what's waiting for me, like just mm-hmm. these these relationships fraught with trauma that's not being resolved. Um Like maybe I should just date cishet guys and leave it at that, you know, like, and it's a really crappy place to be in mentally because it's like, well, why, like, why should I be made to make that choice? Like, why, why is that even a thing? And it's, and the reason is it's because of reasons beyond my control. Like Mm -hmm. there's just so many societal factors working against this idea of having healthy um lgbtqia2s relationships yeah. and society is not built for that sort of thing at least not yet so no, it's not. even today like even today i still think about this stuff a lot because i i see younger people um and i think about my own life too and where where I want to go with finding a partner and everything, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very telling and disheartening to realize that the concerns that I had back then are still very relevant to my life now.
1: They are. That that's kind of heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Not that we expect progress to just be like snap your finger and then- because you're an adult, everything should be better than when it was when you were younger. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think my experience is a mirror yours event. I could, you know, meeting people with trauma and because um, we're queer and because we haven't, sorry, it's a little more difficult when that trauma revolves around like a, a person who can't detach from their masculinity
2: hmm
1: that's been really hard for me to deal with um whereas I'm pretty I I don't know I've been more and more like you know like comfortable exploring whatever gender like for me it's not even a spectrum it's like a big fucking pool to like wade into and fro- frolic in it's not a spectrum but for yeah. a lot of uh men just men um it's just this sort of thing that requires a lot to disentangle from, and I do not have the energy to help with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that happens a lot in dating. You think you'd think that, oh, you have like five or six messages changes with somebody on Tinder or Grinder, like that wouldn't happen. But trust me, six messages is enough to take a toll on how much emotional like, labor yeah, you put in to help somebody sort through, like. What is non-binariness? What? You're not man. You're not woman. You're not, you know? Right. Um, it's, now, I do that thing where I just ghost. And ghosting is fully advocated for in my end. <laughs> if somebody is is pulling off, trying to pull off that shit, um, whether it's queerness or whether it's race or gender or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but... Yeah, I I only started having like using dating apps. I was when I arrived in Canada around seven years ago in Winnipeg, and um, I got like a smartphone and because I didn't have so uh, like a smartphone back home actually, um, and then first app I downloaded was Grinder, and like sharks to a pigeon in the water um, <laughs> when. when when I downloaded, all those like hungry Winnipeggers were like, "Oh, fresh meat! I can smell blood um you know, and I was like, "Oh, they want me! I feel so flattered, but then I realized right. why they wanted me, yeah, and it was oh, you're an Asian, oh you're you know you're easy or you're this, or whatever, and um it didn't mm-hmm. feel so empowering or flattering anymore, um yeah." Yeah, but now I feel like more assertive like you know if I'm using an app like this kind of oh you're one of those alright now I know <laughs> what level of engagement I'm going to have so again that's part of growing older is like knowing but um, my younger friends I'm like a mother hen to some of them in which you know they'll have their first kind of racist uh, experience on an app and I will Aww. know what wisdom to impart in that, like, fuck that person. No, literally, if you want to, you fuck that person. <laughs> have them close their mouth. But if you, if you can't mentally prepare for that kind of stuff, then just ghost that person, right? Yeah.
0: So. And actually, what you just said um, is le- leads into one of my questions, or maybe just my question for this episode, um, what would you tell your like younger self? What advice would you give to your younger self when it comes to, to dating and navigating dating apps and that sort of thing, aside from what you just shared with everyone?
1: Hmm. I would say, don't seek validation or empowerment through dating apps. Hmm. Um uh, that's definitely not um uh, but also hmm <laughs> I'm trying to find something positive here so. <laughs> I, don't I mean if you answered. can't
0: it is what it is like that's life. Uh
1: well there are genuine people looking for a connection, right?
0: Mhm. Um uh,
1: there are. They they are out there. Especially back home when it's really hard to find that connection and through online is the only way. So for example, back home, um, using Facebook, it's probably Facebook that we'd use in the beginning. If you send a message to somebody, you put PLU at the very bottom, which means people like us, and Mm. that somebody
2: knows what it
1: responds affirmingly to that, then typically you can start off a conversation about like awareness or whatever it is, right with that person. Um, hmm. Those codes and acronyms change through time because um, you have bodies like the police the state on your tail and adapting to that. But yeah, um, one thing for certain is that people will always find ways to sidestep those kind of, that kind of oppression to mm-hmm. feel that connection. And part of that is using these apps. So that's one positive is that like if you see connection um, and you're patient and you're mentally prepared for all the garbage in the way um you might actually get it- mm-hmm. How about you what- What would you tell your younger self?
0: Oh man, Well, I think similar to you, I would tell myself, maybe just don't use dating apps as much and because as when i was younger i definitely used it as a a mechanism for validation that i wasn't receiving in other areas of my life or from other people in my life um and also i think because i was just raised in a society that says that women should seek validation through relationships to men like
2: um
0: i think though what I would encourage my younger self to do is just to, com- be, to be completely transparent about who I am and what I'm looking for in another person and to be very firm with my boundaries. Um, I think for a long time, I struggled to figure out who I was and... Because of that, I would get lost in relationships with other people and kind of adjust my personality to whoever I was dating in an effort to preserve the relationship, which is just not a, a healthy thing to do at all. And I would definitely tell my younger self just be totally real with the people that you're connecting with and whoever stays is clearly on the same wavelength as you and whoever leaves is not meant to be in your life and there's nothing that you need to fix about that it's just the way that it is and you'll be okay
1: yeah that's that's really nice Ah, i wish i wish i wish my younger self had met your current self i mean also your younger self but also.
0: I Same mean, here you know, with, <laughs> <laughs> I wish my younger self had met you right now. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh,
1: but that, that's, that's, that's part of, um of, of us being queer is that we, we kind of grew up to be, um to be, you know, to, to be guardians for, for our younger queer, baby queer. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Like, I don't know, like I've met a few younger people who have gone through situations similar to mine in which you know they become refugees or they've been disowned and um or you know, like it's or they're facing racism and typically mm-hmm. they will turn to apps for uh for validation and when they find out that they they're not getting it from there, um when they do turn to me or if they do turn to me. I'm just so ready to like give them all the love and all the validation. Aww. Like fuck that person. Don't fucking use trying to right now. You were beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make it. Um Yeah, I like I, I don't know, it's just oh like I know, we're both we're both uh <laughs> elderly queer guardians.
0: Yeah, oh, that's wild to think about actually. The fact that we are yeah, yeah, depending <laughs> on your your social like your identity intersections, like we're technically elders.
1: Hmm. Wow. But we also have elderly queer guardians looking after it.
0: This is true. Yeah. Oh, you know, and see, so this is the thing. Maybe we can end off with this. Like, I think. I think that's something that really needs to happen more is like, I'm not to say that it's not happening at all. Like what you just described is what I do too. Like I remember going to nightclubs and stuff and seeing men doing very shady things to people or like trying to Mm. pressure people to leave with them. And I step in and I pretend to be their best friend from high school or something, you know? Um, Mm. But I think there's really something to be said about like that, that mentorship aspect and helping to guide younger, younger generations in ways that feel good for them and may ensure their safety and ensure their flourishing, um, whether it's in dating or just navigating life in general.
1: Oh, I'm like, I'm almost scaring up because you just reminded me of my exploration of fairness um, in my like, like late teens, early 20s, and I didn't feel comfortable being around men, and mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't have a language or anything, and you wouldn't you know, want to be around men, Yeah, um, but my posse was a group of uh, lesbian women, some of them were slightly older, and we'd go to the club, and I'd be dancing with a guy, and then I'd be like, oh, I want to go home with you, and then they would step in, like, that's a fuckboy. <laughs> and then they would take me out for like the most amazing food and you know like drive
0: like, I love that
1: and, um, and yeah just like older queers looking out for younger queers and it's not like this it's it's just yeah we just it's just, and then they probably had older like elderly queers looking after them so mm-hmm. passing it on collective like um responsibility that we, we share with each other Yeah. Aw, I have all the fuzzy feelings.
2: Yay.
1: Um, Before we close off, do you want to give a review, like a quick review of a dating app?
0: Oh, wow. Well, okay. I'm going to talk about a dating app that doesn't actually exist
1: um (laughs) like what would you have
0: uh yeah so it's kind of pertaining to what we were talking about earlier like um like an app for example having age options that prevent like significantly older people from dating very young people and i mean i'm not going to get into the ethical things about that but saying that but having that kind of discussion with the understanding that there's a lot of predatory dynamics that happen in in age gaps with young eighteen to twenty year olds and people much older than them and that sort of thing. Um, but for this imaginary dating app, I would love to see like a really cool site where um, people can like refer friends to each other or something or like um i don't know have have really good accountability mechanisms for for members and everything like that um maybe provide resources on on different like relationship focused topics um i don't know i just like And then specifically for like BIPOC people and -hmm. and this space where it's understood that everyone is coming from different lived experiences and there needs to be a certain amount of care put into the interactions that you have with one another. It's not like a space of disposability. It's a a space Mm -hmm. of care and intentionality. And that's like, that's the kind of, dating app that I would like to see
1: <laughs> I mean that system of like referral like back home we not it's not an app we just that's our um, matchmaking aunties our family tree
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> or it, you know or like I mentioned like my uh elderly lesbian posse right mm-hmm. um of like preferring knowing the community but it would be cool to have that as an app because it would be more accessible to tap into that um yeah i like that i i I think i think after this podcast we can kind of plot another plot to develop an app so
2: Mm.
1: um, yeah i was gonna my my imaginary app is a lot less poetic it's just because um, we're always like, we're queer, so we have so much trauma, like you mentioned, and um, it should be an app called uh, Labor or something, where um, you use bag icons to indicate how much baggage you have in each one. <laughs> and each icon has like your trauma on it. Somebody can scroll and, and maybe if they, they're willing to impart some emotional labor, if they pick up one on your bag, they take it off your profile um in in exchange you can also decide to take up one or their bags of of trauma yeah emotional baggage like there yeah that wouldn't work because that wouldn't make any money for um ad revenue like what i mean i guess i guess like private therapists can use it to advertise themselves but um,
0: yeah that's true
1: (laughs) (laughs) um that's that's my app idea for sorting out all the trauma that's
0: um yeah, it is. yeah, and I really like that too, actually, that i I immediately thought of like mutual care, mm. and that that feels really good to think about is this like open, vulnerable setting. That everyone co-creates with each other and Mm. is like actively participating in like sharing rather than like oh gosh this like we're gonna I'm just gonna keep this episode going forever but like (laughs) and like more so sharing experience rather than performing it you know Mm -hmm. I think I think your app idea is brilliant that would be and also i'm just imagining like the cute little icons on the screen like that's just fun to me too and the interactivity of it all
1: yeah cuz then the, the premise of it is that you're going in knowing that you're going to provide care you're going to receive care right
2: mhm um
1: and that you can set a boundary through like um how much care you give or or take right hmm yeah Oh, okay, we're gonna develop it, but but um, huh oh, yeah, i like I like your idea and my idea, and um, I feel like we could go on and on with this topic because
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but is there any closing remarks you have about dating apps,
2: hmm.
0: I think, mm, oh, interesting. I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but um, I think when it comes to dating apps, there's a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. uh, that the, the creators and moderators of these apps have that they might not be willing to acknowledge or maybe they do and they capitalize it in questionable ways. And I think there needs to be some acknowledgement that like every app that you use is constructed specifically for a purpose.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's good to be informed about what that purpose is and how you're going to interact with it and how you're going Mm -hmm. to use that app for your own, for your own benefit, frankly, and how much of yourself you want to put into it and how much, you are hoping or expecting to receive in return Mm. and then putting that all together with this idea of just yeah um mm, there's i think there's a lot of power in spaces where there's an opportunity to connect with people and it needs mm-hmm. to be used wisely.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of power and spaces places are where people are vulnerable and they're seeking connection, right? hmm That was really beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not gonna add anything to that. I think it's a perfect closure. Um, but thank you, Burun Halam.
0: Merci. And
1: that is our episode um, on Dating App. So uh, we will see you next time, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if we figured out our topic for next week, but as per usual, it'll be a great discussion.
1: Yeah. Um, stay on. I'm going to talk